0: And here we are again, welcome to the Mercy Cast, where we're learning the art of compassion through the adversity of life. I'm your host, Raleigh Sadler. And if you're anything like me, there have been times where you want to help others, but you're kind of bound up in your own story. You're dealing with the drama that's unfolding in your own life and it almost impedes you, not almost, it does impede you from caring for others. This is a scary feeling. And it's hard to know our way forward. How do we push through the shame to where we can not only experience true freedom in and ourselves, but we can lead others to true freedom? Carrie was sitting at a table when she discovered that someone she was working with was contemplating suicide. But instead of wanting to reach out, she felt her own shame of not reaching out. Today, I'm joined by Carrie Garcia, who's a pastor, licensed life coach, and CEO and the author of the new book, Free and Fully Alive, reclaiming the story of who you were created to be. Carrie, welcome to MercyCast.
1: I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, thank you for being here. Because I am so interested in talking about this idea of freedom, because we all give it lip service. We all love to talk about it. But just when we think we're free sometimes, something holds us back. When we engage the stories of others, our own stuff gets stirred up. Tell me kind of what did you do next?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a real crux in, in the book because it leads, it leads us down this path of what does it mean to connect to ourself, connect to God, and then ultimately connect to others. And I think in this place of connection to others, we find ourselves, uh, there's a lot of uh, protection we put up. And for Mm. me, seeing, letting other people see me vulnerable, see me weak see me not be able to pull myself up by my bootstraps and have it together, this kind of exposure was something that I honestly would avoid at all costs. I want to be the rescuer. I want to be the one that has it all together. This is what I do for a living. I am the trainer. Um, And here I was sitting at that table and realized in that moment, I didn't have a choice. It was no longer, you know, there's a lot of work out there around just trying to be authentic. We don't want to be authentic. And the truth is, is that authenticity is really only given to as much as you want to give it to. But exposure, you don't have control over it. Like that's just when you're exposed and there's nothing you can do. And in that moment, I was exposed and everything inside me, my nervous system, my coping mechanisms, all of it were fighting back. Get out of here. Get out of here. The people that are sitting at this table watching you have a breakdown are going to judge you, mock you, leave you and think less of you if you continue on. And that is definitely a narrative that I, that I carried uh, up until that moment.
0: And you touched on this idea of self-protection and it's so easy to focus on protecting ourselves. And in some way that's good, but I've found yeah. that we can protect ourselves at the expense of protecting others. We're so focused on caring for us or protect, not even caring really, like keeping ourselves out of harm's way that we're unwilling to enter into the world of others.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, which is just such a falsehood. You can't actually keep yourself from harm. That's just not even reality. So, you know, in essence, we're believing a lie that says like, if I continue isolating myself and protecting myself, I'll stay safe. And I just, I guess the question is, how's that working for everybody? Mm. <laughs> you know, mm. it's not, it's not, you know? And so there's the the truth is, is that the invitation Is connection to self. Yes, but it's to look at these self protective measures. One, we bless them because they helped protect us for most of us when we were younger. And now we need to look at them through the lens of an adult lens going, is this still serving me or is this kind of self sabotaging or protection coping mechanism? Is this actually creating more isolation for me and keeping me from healing?
0: wow, is it keeping me from healing? And you talk about this idea of allowing people to see you in your vulnerability versus this idea of being a rescuer. And I'm reminded, I was in my early 20s. I was wanting to be a pastor. I was doing all the things, checking all the boxes. And I asked a young guy, I'm like, can I disciple you? You know, I didn't really know how that worked, but I wanted to talk to him a little bit about like what God was doing in my life and help him understand what God was doing in his. And I had yeah. a very dim picture of this calling, but I, I just went for it. But during that time, I also went through a pretty tough breakup.
1: Yeah.
0: And, and I, I just unraveled like I just I was hurting very deeply and it, and it, it left a mark this breakup
1: yeah. and
0: i remember this person looking at me and really being like i don't want to spend time with you because because of where you are and it and it hit me it was, I started a practice then of don't show weakness don't show yeah. vulnerability because if you show weakness to the people you're trying to care for you're going to lose them but then right. i hit another aspect of now i'm basically acting like i have it all together and my people who don't are trying to figure out how to so that they can be okay. And if I was just honest and said, you know what, I don't have it together. None of us have it together. Mm -hmm. Jesus had to become vulnerable to save those of us who are vulnerable. Yes. Now that's my message, but it took me a while to get there. And so Mm -hmm. what would you say to people who they want to they be the rescuer. They want to be there for people, but they're scared to look into the places that they fear the most.
1: Yeah. I mean, the book we talk about this, in essence, you can't take people farther than you're willing to go yourself. And so and the people ask me all the time, like, well, if I start diving into my story or the places that are hurt me, I'm going to drown by it. And here's what we know both, scientifically, and we know this spiritually, that you are already drowning in a cycle of false freedom because you are choosing not to bring your story before the Lord and and really get honest about what you're holding. The way you love, the way you listen, the way you lead, all goes through the grid of your experience. And if those experiences that you have had have been harmful, then they need to be rewired, not to eradicate them, but to be have invitations for the Lord to come into them and be able to tend to them so that there can be a new way of looking at things. So when I was sitting at that table, just to bring it back there, and I'm thinking all these things, they're going to leave me, they're going to mock me. That's data that I have right. from other relationships in my life. But the problem was, is I have. It's almost like I have these sunglasses on, seeing through the lens and the grid of my pain, and it's not accurate perception. So these people actually weren't going to mock me. They weren't going to hurt me. But my nervous system, my my body was like, "Get out of here! They're going to hurt you." Why? Because I have data to back that up. Mm-hmm. But what we have to look at is, in order for us to start stepping into f- to real freedom not just lip service freedom or behavior modification, but true heart transformation, which is really the essence of freedom, then we have to get honest about where we really are so that we can examine the lens in which we love, lead, and listen to the world around us. So don't mistake it. You are living out the stories that you don't engage. 100%. You are living them out. And until they're engaged with specificity, validation, and care, they will lead you in destructive patterns often rather than really in this fully alive, abundant life that God has for you.
0: There's an element of acceptance versus denial at play here as well. If you're willing to engage and accept that this is your story, whether you like it or not, this is where you find yourself, it's much easier to move forward. But if we kind of live in that denial of, well, that didn't happen, or that person didn't really mean that, or whatever we're saying to kind of coax ourselves into submission, we're not going to end up where we want to end up.
1: No, we will go from one behavior to the next behavior. I talk about this in one of the chapters that uh, there's a cycle of false freedom that we go to. I, I mean, the cycle of false freedoms for me, some of them were really destructive by the world's terms, like addiction and things like that. But some of them were badges of honor, like ministry, but ministry was just another addiction for me because I was using it as a means to heal something internal. And I was trying to look yeah. at external things to heal that. And it just kept me on this cycle of like, well, maybe ministry will be the thing that will help me experience freedom in the abundant life. So I poured into all these things for Jesus. But really, because I wanted these things to fix me, not really Jesus to tend to me. I just wanted it to be done. I want to be over. I want to be, I want to be free. The absence of pain. No more pain. And that's not reality.
0: No, no, but it sounds great.
1: Yeah, sure. Right. I'll sell that. I'll, I'll buy that t-shirt. Right. But how's our world doing? Yeah. This is not doing well. Right. You know, it's just like freedom is not the absence of pain. It's the presence of God in our pain. Walking through the valley it's, it's others holding our story with non-judgment and love. This is a fully life- free life it's holding both grief and gratitude in the same breath
0: so you're sitting there at the table mm-hmm. your past data is compiling and it's printing out its synopsis of who you are in that moment Yes you're feeling shame, maybe in your shoulders, your chest, your back, wherever you feel shame
1: mm.
0: and you're you're scared, you want to help, but you can't help yourself. And then Mm -hmm. you're realizing you're in the throes of this false freedom cycle, because in a sense, you have freedom to not help that person, but that doesn't feel like Mm -hmm. freedom.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. And so describe to us, go a little deeper into what is a false freedom cycle?
1: It is our aversion to dealing with our own heart and the harm in our story. It's our, it's man's attempt to try to restore and repair where the enemy has wounded us and where the world has wounded us. Uh, we have been formed by God in our mother's womb for purpose, but we have been shaped by a, a world that has harmed us. And, and not all of it's bad, but there's no one listening uh, that has not been harmed by people that have loved, that are supposed to love them. And so when we don't have a place to go to with those stories, we try in our own attempt to try to heal them by behaviors. So we opt for behavior modification rather than bringing the stories of harm that we have minimized or avoided or severed. Instead of bringing those before the Lord, we put them in a box and don't want to deal with them and opt for behaviors to try to heal them. And it doesn't work.
0: I believe it was Pete Scazzaro who said that God did not die for the version of ourselves that we project, but he died for the real us. Yes. And until we embrace who we really are and embrace reality and accept that, we're going to struggle tapping into what we really need. And it's interesting how you, throughout this conversation, we've been going on for about 10 minutes, but the idea of story comes up. Over and over and over. And it's so important because yes. we are narrative people. Narrative matters. We all see ourselves at some stage in a story. Sometimes yeah. we see ourselves on the hero's journey. Yeah. Other times we feel that we are playing the part of the victim. Sometimes we just want the story to end happily yeah. ever after. But that's not always life. Our life stories often involve a lot of pain a lot of suffering. But on the flip side of that, there's hope. There's a chance for a new beginning. And so as you talk about our stories kind of being rewired, or dare I say, restoried, mm-hmm. what do you mean by that?
1: Well, what I mean by that is you can't escape the stories that have shaped you. You, you, you can't. No matter how hard you try, they're there. They're a part of you the natural tendency, especially from the enemy, is to minimize it, compare it, or be overwhelmed by it. And yet, they're there. Whether we like it or not, they're there. And to really be restoried in our lives, again, I'll just keep coming back to this, is to look at our story with its complexity, but look at it with honesty. What really happened? Instead of having false loyalty to my parents, I love them, but also their untended to wounds landed on me mm. and they affected me yeah. in certain ways. Yeah. And therefore yeah. I am living out these untended to places in my parents. Now I'm dealing with that same kind of generational kind of trauma and I'm playing that out in my home. And so to restory is to really start breaking generational dysfunctional patterns. By looking at our story in totality, rather than looking at it as isolated. I came to know Jesus. The the old is gone. Here's the new. That scripture is totally out of context when it means about, you know, actual story work. But it has, we have to look at our story in totality. What has shaped me and how has that affected me? Just like Hagar. Remember when she's standing in the field and Jesus looks at her and he says, where have you come from and where are you going? So there are two questions there that that God is wanting to give the totality of tell me the whole story. Because when we see the whole story, we actually can begin to tend to the parts where we're stuck and begin to move forward in that restored process.
0: Well, and when we look at the story in its totality, we see where we've been and we accept mm-hmm. that and then from there we can also see, well, maybe Maybe this is where we're going. Yeah. But we're so afraid of our own story. And like what you're saying, your parents' stories intersected with yours. Your stories intersected with others. And all of our stories are kind of interlocking. And it can be so messy that, yeah, if we're not really looking at what we bring to the party, then we're not really going to understand what happens. We're not really going to understand how we impact people or how we're impacted. One of my former mentors had me fill out something he called a suffering timeline. He's like, you don't have to put everything down. Just what are some key things where you just really felt like you suffered in your life? Right. And his presupposition was that God can conform us to himself through our suffering. So if we're willing to look our suffering in the eyes, whether it was something that we did, whether it was something that was done to us, if we can look at that, that might show us who we're becoming. Mm -hmm. And it might point us forward. I know Mm -hmm. many who have experienced horrible things that have actually looked their pain in the eyes and they're not mere survivors, but they're Mm -hmm. overcomers, they're thriving. They're saying, yeah, this is part of my story, but this isn't who I am, but it has influenced who I've become. And so Mm -hmm. now I can speak to people who are dealing with this. If I want, Mm. I don't have to, but if I want, I can. I don't
1: have to. Yeah, right. I think out of the particularities of your pain come the particularities of your calling. Mm. I think if you want to really know your calling, this is different than gifting. I talk a lot about this in the book. Your gifting was given to you by God at the beginning of time when he made you. Your calling is forged in the fire of your pain because your calling is this, hell no, not on my watch while I continue to let this happen on the land. Heaven, yes, but hell no. It's a holy discontent. And we find that holy discontent in the places where we've been harmed. And when that places of harm have been tended to, and there's we start to feel some freedom and healing in that area, then we look out at the world and we go, I don't want that to happen to anybody else. And you might do that calling in the marketplace or in ministry or, you know, running a nonprofit. I'm not talking about your vehicle. Your calling is not your vehicle. It is this deep belly kind of guttural, I don't want to see this happen on the land. And that is birthed out of the fire of your pain. And that is why if you want to have hope and know your calling and you want to avoid your story, you will be on a cycle of trying to figure out what's my calling, what's my calling. And and it's right there in your story. It's right there.
0: Wow. Yes. And most people, when they talk about their calling, this is not what they talk about because this is entirely too messy, Carrie. You got to admit, like this is real life stuff. And we Mm -hmm. like the three things of like, what's the need? What are your passions? What's your availability? How do those three come together in like a Venn diagram or something? Right, right. But what we're both saying is, nah, when it gets really difficult and you look over your life and you're like, this is the place I fear the most, that might be what God is calling you to. And Mm -hmm. And it's interesting in your book, you have kind of a. I don't want to say a timeline or a spectrum, but you kind of have this linear projection. We start with hate and disgust. And this could be hate for others or self loathing. And that moves into shame where in our healing, we, we do need to name the shame. What are we feeling shame for? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And then from there, we're engaging trauma that we've experienced. Mm -hmm. And then the next step is to share and grieve it, which is so Mm -hmm. important. And it's so scary. Mm -hmm. But grieving it and just letting it hit the air, like feeling it, just feeling the feelings, Mm -hmm. addressing that. But then that gives way to gratitude, which Mm -hmm. gives way to connection, Mm -hmm. which leads us to our calling. Right. And I feel like we're touching on these, but walk us through maybe a story of Mm -hmm. someone that kind of went from a place where so many of us are. I'm a recovering perfectionist, so... Like Mm -hmm. when you're a recovering perfectionist, self-loathing and stuff can be part of it. Like you can be really hard on yourself. You can be really critical of yourself. Mm
1: -hmm. Right.
0: But then owning that, sharing that, grieving that and moving forward does lead you to either your life's calling or your temporal calling. Like what is your calling right now? Right. Right. But yeah, share a story of someone who kind of engaged that process that you uh, Mm
1: -hmm. kind of well, I mean, I'm I'm going to use you. Yeah.
0: Use me. Okay, <laughs> let's go. When you,
1: when you when you say I am a recovering perfectionist, the the immediate question that comes up for me, well, protect, you know, perfectionism is a protective mechanism in which you find belonging and love. Mm-hmm. So, if I can keep things perfect and I can keep things rigidly okay, then I can stay in belonging and ultimately get the love that I'm desiring. As long as I do it
0: perfectly. As long as as and then people will love me.
1: Yeah. Right. Which is you can't. No. But not at all. You know, in your mind. And so you don't have to answer this. I'm not I'm asking this rhetorically, but the question that I would ask back is, well, what happened in your story, especially early on? where perfectionism was your ability to control and mitigate your pain and to be able to go, okay, this is how I'm going to stay in belonging in a home where I don't have options. I'm seven, I can't leave. And so I, I have to stay here. And in staying here, I have to play a certain role and I got to, I got to do certain things so that, that I can stay in connection with these people that are taking care of me much more complex, but in essence, that is what we have to look at. What was the role I began to play that was never made for me? Right. God never right. ever formed you to be, to take on the weight of needing things to be perfect. That's the wounds of your parents in some way falling onto you where you're having to go, okay, this is what, this is how I can stay in protection and belonging. And that's what we're looking at. The the book helps you kind of work through that a little bit, uh, you know, so that you're not you're not doing like deep, massive therapy, but right, it's, right, it's right, helping right. you understand the stories that have shaped you and created what we would call adaptive behaviors uh, when you were younger to keep you in belonging that have now become what's called maladaptive. So as you're an adult, these perfectionism that kept you protected when you were younger, but now it's protecting you so much that it's keeping you from connection
0: well it's funny because i've talked to some people and they'll be like well i'm a perfectionist and i'm my own worst critic and and they kind of they shluff it off you know they kind of like Mm -hmm. act like it's not that big of a deal and it hit Mm -hmm. me just how many of us are there and i can look Mm -hmm. back at you know i mean if it's you know you're a child and you're thinking i gotta be a good boy i don't want to be a bad Mm -hmm. boy I don't want to get in trouble. So there's that. Mm -hmm. But then you start thinking about entering into the church. And I grew up in kind of a evangelical background. And there was a lot of behavior modification. Rather than seeing someone as washed in the blood of Christ and created beautifully Mm -hmm. in the image of Christ. It's more of, well, as long as you're acting right, as long as you are doing this and this. And I was kind of like, I grew up, I was kind of a little rebellious kid. I was that kid in the youth group who was cracking jokes and, Mm -hmm. you know, getting into trouble and stuff like that, but just trying to find his way and Mm. really embracing this idea of imperfectionism, but over and over and over, especially within the church, it's all be better, be better, be better. It's all about do and not about done. And that's not the Christian gospel. No. It's not about be better, do better. That is not it. But over time, now you have to look the part. Now that, yeah. you know, you're going up in the church and you need to be this person who has it together, especially when you yeah. go into ministry. You're now the leader. And I mean, I've had more people sit down with me and say, well, you know, when you get married, you've got to marry the right person. Because if you marry the wrong person, it will destroy your ministry. Well, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. And that kind of thing right. always overflows on to me but also to others. And there are so many people, especially many of the listeners, who are drowning in this. They've grown up in mm-hmm. churches and they've been expected to be perfect. Right. And you're not and you never will mm-hmm. be. But there was a perfect right. person for you. And so so yeah, I to- told you I I see myself as a recovering perfectionist. Mm-hmm. Yes. But I kind of like the idea of an imperfectionist because at the end of the day, now I'm free to mess up. I don't feel like my skin's being ripped off my bones anymore. Mm. But I had to teach myself that. And I Mm. had to work through some of these stages and actually all of these stages where Mm -hmm. you go from, you kind of let yourself speak to yourself. Like when you if you are really frustrated at others or you're self-loathing or just make a mistake, just make a mistake today. What's the track that plays in your brain? Mm -hmm. That's not a big deal. That's awesome if that's it. Or if it's, idiot, you jerk. What's wrong with you? Ask yourself why. Why are Mm -hmm. you feeling that way? And then Mm -hmm. what are you feeling shame about? And then engaging that thing behind it. Mm -hmm. And then grieving it. Like one thing I'll do is if I'm like, man, I'm pretty down today. It's been a hard day. I'll be like, Mm -hmm. I'll stop myself. I'll take a step back. And I accept that I'm feeling this way. I'm going to be here. I'm going to accept it. And then once I accept it, whether I like it or not, I may not want to feel that way, but I accept it. Then I can do something about it.
1: Yes, so good.
0: And I think for us, your book guides us through our stories so that we can do this, so that even facing these things that we're so scared to face, because we know that if we face these, it's going to have an overflow effect. You're not just tending to you. This isn't selfishness, and if it is selfishness, it's healthy selfishness.
1: Mm-hmm. Because okay.
0: as we tend to our needs and wounds, we're able to care for others.
1: Yes, yes.
0: And so, yes. tell free me a people, little. Free people, <laughs> right, right. Just like hurt mm-hmm. people, hurt people, and these are right. <laughs> very almost reductionistic phrases, but there is a mm-hmm. kernel of truth in there. And yes. so. How have you seen people address their own stuff and see how that overflows into their care for others?
1: I mean, honestly, I wouldn't do this work if I didn't see it over and over and over again. I mean, I've been doing this for almost 30 years. So, you know, this is this is something that I'm just like, this is what has been missing in the church mm. is this ability to learn how to hold the human heart, hold the story, tend to the story, ask good questions around the story. And when that happens, you see, there's something that happens in the grief. And that's what I want you guys, as you're listening to understand, because grief is this word that we want to avoid. And yet grief is the pathway to restoration. And I do give you exactly like how to godly grieve in like a chart in my book. But in order for us to really move into places of true restoration where we can sit and help others we need a super natural exchange mm. and so we can do all this work and there's yeah. a lot out there i mean on instagram everybody's an expert now you know they like are, some aren't kind they? of trauma whatever you know and and you know i mean i would say i'm one of them i've gone through a lot of schooling to be able to say that however I can only teach you and I can only do so much. What, what we are responsible for is, is invitation. Jesus, come into the honest places of our heart. Friend who I'm going to trust, come into the honest places of my heart. Everything else is a supernatural exchange that is met in the valley of the shadow of death where you have someone protecting you and guiding you. And somehow near the end, there is a table prepared for your enemies. And you are then able to see that God is with me in the midst of it. And when you get out on the other side of it, for what, you know, particular pain or whatever, you are then able to help people in a way that is fueled by the fruit of the spirit in your life. And so we have to be very clear that (laughs) you can get really bogged down with knowledge, study all the things, do all the things, check all the boxes. But until we you know this is not about spirituality or really getting more clear on psychology those are all really important but without the invitation of jesus into these fragile places where he can supernaturally ex- exchange through the the grief of your tears and your heartache and your harm you will stay stuck on that but when you do you will go out it it just will be a natural thing that happens where you want to You want to partner with him in the world and bring goodness to the land of the living. It's just a natural occurrence when supernatural activity and exchange has happened.
0: Inviting Jesus into your pain. You know, when we suffer, oftentimes we isolate from God and others. We push ourselves Mm. away or push others away. But in this moment, it's saying, this isn't so messy that you can't see it. As a matter of fact, you already see it. So I'm just going to accept and confess my reality to the person who knows it, who owns it, who is a, like there, who's present. Yeah. Gary Haugen of International Justice Mission once said, He's like, when I work with survivors of severe exploitation, they're not asking me, Where was God when this happened? They're asking me, Where are His people? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. the God I believe in, this is what he's saying. He's like, The God I believe in is a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with mm-hmm. grief. Yes, he is. And so, God of all people can connect with us in those really dark moments. And I love this idea of inviting him in, but also inviting safe people. You mentioned how yes. everyone's an expert. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was talking this over with a coach of mine and I was like, man, everybody is talking about trauma now. Everybody mm-hmm. is talking about every ism out there. And then... <laughs> Some of these things they'll have ten ways to know you have codependency, ten ways to know you're a narcissist, ten ways to know you know fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. And as he and I would talk about it, you know mm-hmm. what would always come out in the conversation was, yeah, just basically ignore all of that and talk to people who actually know what they're talking about. And right. and I get it. There are some people with letters behind their names that are using Twitter as a medium and or using social totally. media as a medium, and that's a beautiful right. thing, right? Mm-hmm. But that is not counseling. Right. There's nothing like inviting someone into your life who can mm-hmm. pace with you because we mm-hmm. just want to figure it out rather than deal with it. And I think those two are very different things because sometimes dealing with it takes a little bit more work. And so how do, you, yeah. how do you get people to differentiate between doing the hard work and just trying to get it done so that they can move on? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, we live in a culture of fast food, fast fashion, and fast freedom. That's what we want. We want everything fast. (laughs) (laughs) I want it. I just want it right now. And the truth is, is that, um, you know, when we came to know Jesus, we were justified in our trespasses and in our sin. And when we go to heaven, we'll be glorified, but we are in the process of being saved, which means that our sanctification, the process of becoming more like Jesus, Is just very much that a process. And that freedom, you know, I had this idea that freedom would mean that I wouldn't experience the heartache the way I was experiencing it. And the truth is, is that that wasn't what freedom ended up being. That freedom was actually the, like I said before, the presence of God tending to me in my pain and realizing that there was was a formula. Connection to self, what's really going on. I have tons of Bible verses about why. I know this to be true. But what's going truly on in my life, this idea that you you said, invitation, and a give it to God culture, especially in the church that I've been growing up in, when it comes to grief, I don't see that as biblical. I, I see God's invitation, the great incarnation was him leaving his throne to enter into the brokenness of the world. And all of the stories in scripture are about him pursuing his children. So there is an invitation. So connection to self, connection to God, and then ultimately connection to others is the full cycle of what we have to engage in whatever story we're holding for there to be full presence of freedom. And and really, like let's be honest, not everybody can afford counseling. So is God a cruel God? Like, well, if you can't afford, you know, if you don't get counseling, you can't get free. And I just think that's crazy. And that's why he gave, that's why we're here is to partner with God in the places where we've been redeemed or are in the process of being redeemed. We partner with God to bring that goodness and holding space. That's what we say here is holding space, holding space for the human heart to restore that we get to partner with God in doing that, because ultimately we can't fix anyone. That's Holy Spirit's job, but we get to partner with him by holding the heart. And so, you know, whether you're an expert or not, or whether you're sitting with experts, the formula is still the formula, connection to self, connection to God, connection to others. You want to get free in your life. You want to live fully alive. You got to bring it all in those three areas continually. And they have to be safe people. We already have a safe God and you've got to be honest with yourself. And that's really what it looks like. And and we overcomplicate it, but that's where the supernatural experience takes place.
0: And you're not going to do it perfectly and you don't have to.
1: No, I mean, no one is doing it perfectly, right?
0: No, and (laughs) it's like some of these books you'll read, it'll be like step one, step two, step three, step four. And it's just like,
1: sometimes it's
0: it's more of a cluster. It's just like kind of all happening Mm -hmm. at once. Mm -hmm. But I love this, this idea of connection to self, connection to others, connection to God. Mm There's a holistic element there that is so pivotal because mm-hmm. we're not just, I'll hear some people teaching about healing and health and what have you in certain evangelical circles and they're doing it all through a spiritual lens. Mm-hmm. That's fine. That's part of it. But there's also an emotional lens, psychological lens, a physical lens. We, we need to address the holistic element of the human. Because unless we do that, then we miss something. And I think in the gospel, we do have this holistic salvation. He became like us in every way to save us. Body,
1: mind, and spirit. Absolutely. Body.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And people want to look past that and just preach at the problem. And I think we can do that. But unless we're also demonstrating the gospel, we're missing something. And so I think there's always a little bit more to it. And you said Mm -hmm. something, and you've said it a couple of times, that I just find it very intriguing, and I want to hear more about it. This idea of inviting God into our stuff, whatever we're facing. Mm -hmm. And this is something that you've done. This is something that I've done. This is something that you're doing. This is something that I'm doing. This is something that our listeners are doing. Mm -hmm. No one, especially on this podcast, is acting like we've figured it all out or have it all together. No.
1: Right. Well,
0: good. But... (laughs) But we are, we are growing and, and mm-hmm. that's it. It's like the fixed mindset versus the growth mindset. Right. As long as I'm growing, I'm doing all right. As long as I'm... Yeah. And I, don't, I, I use this idea, like I use this statement almost in a funny way, but as long as I'm a tiny bit better than I was before. But even if I'm not, I'm, it's like, I want to see that I'm, I'm growing, even if... Like there are some times where I'm like, there's no way I've grown in the last year and then something happens. Mm-hmm. And the way I handle it is light years apart from how I would have handled it a year ago. Mm-hmm. And so you are growing sometimes, even when you don't know it. But this idea right. of inviting God in and inviting others in is very quintessential. And so, what's the difference between invitation and just giving it to God, laying it at his feet?
1: Mm-hmm. I think proximity, personal, you know, interpersonal relationship. I mean, could you imagine with your spouse if you just, all of a sudden said, I'm really hurting about this, or I'm really angry at you about this, and you just told them and then walked away, like deal with it. And then I'll come back. And then you just will be good. And that's like, that doesn't happen. There has to be proximity, communication, working through it, wrestling it out. And I think, you know, we have to look at our lives like a dimmer switch in when it comes to the flesh and the spirit and you know the spirit lives in you but it's a dimmer switch and as the Bible says in Galatians 6 5 Galatians 526 I think something like that but it says very at the end there after fruit of the spirit if we live by the spirit then we also must be in step with the spirit so the spirit already lives in us that's a given these these spirits are the the spirit of God is already in us But if we want it to grow and we want to see healing happen, we want the fruit of the spirit to grow in our life, then we have to be in step. So when I say invitation, as opposed to give it to God, you know, this always is a really buzz thing. People get really upset about this and I'm okay with it because they love the phrase. I'm just, you know, I just want to give it to God, which I know in essence means this idea of surrender. I get that. Sure. But. When we are looking at surrender, it is not the absence of interpersonal relationship in step with God. So could we say, instead of, I'm just going to give it to God, could we say, I just want to invite God into this and let him shine light where I need to go. Let him tend to my open wounds. Let him be the guide rather than require of God, this absence of personal relationship and absence of intimacy to just say, God, you fix it. I'll come back when you're good. You know, let your Jesus juice land on me and then I'll just be okay. And that's just not biblical. That surrender isn't the absence of relationships. Surrender is the invitation that God, I want you to so tend to my heart that I am willing and ready and available to go wherever you want me to go and do whatever you want me to do and, and, and be honest with you about anything. Because if the truth sets me free, then I have to tell the truth about whatever's going on. And I can't tell the truth if I'm just giving it to God and walking away and hoping it works out. That That's not a relationship. That's a dictatorship or something else that's weird.
0: Well, and I think when people mention give it to God, they're talking about trying to release something. But sometimes mm-hmm. release, I recently did something called the Camino de Santiago in Spain. And
1: I'm doing that next year. That's
0: what I'm talking about. See, I knew that's we were going to be friends. And- <laughs> And so I'm sitting there walking, I'm doing the primitive path. So the very first Camino, 13, I mean, some people do it longer, but I I took 13 days walking through the mountains. I grew up in Florida, so mountains aren't necessarily my friend, but Mm. 250 miles through the mountains. It was probably the most difficult and most beautiful thing I've ever done in my life. Mm. One of the quintessential parts of this particular pilgrimage is leaving things on the trail and picking other things up. So as you're walking, Mm. it's all about baggage. When you have to pack your bag and unpack it every day, you start to realize this is a game of ounces. You have to let certain things go. So you might have bought a nice shirt. You might have to leave that at your albergue, your hostel, so that you can make it to the next place so you don't have neck problems, so that you don't have Mm. back issues. Mm. You have to start thinking about how you breathe. If you're just breathing through your mouth, your muscles aren't getting enough oxygen. But if you breathe through your nose and then out through the mouth, you're going to be able to get farther faster. And so one of the things that I learned while I was on that, and I found out about it because a a friend of mine who's a pastor told me about it. And he was just like, yeah, I went I let things go. But the whole trail for me was about being open and present. And so... As I was processing things that I've probably processed for a long time, it was on that trail that I'm like, God, I think I've held on to this long enough, mm. and and my whole goal was just to get closer to you. And so, I don't really know how to do this. I don't know how to stop replaying this in my head, but right. But I'm done. And so, if you want it, take it. And then for me, symbolism is important. So I'd write it all down. Mm-hmm. And leave it somewhere, put it under a rock, whatever, but basically write down, I'm done carrying this. God, it's yours. Mm -hmm. And for me, that is something a little bit different than to just give it to God, because I would have people throughout the process say stuff like, well, just give it up to God. And then you start feeling shame because you can't give it up to God. And it almost takes walking with him to the point where you trust him enough to be like, I'm really tired of carrying this and I'm scared Mm -hmm. and. I'm tired of the shame and I'm tired of the fear and I'm tired of anxiety and I'm tired of all this. And I know that it's not going to go away completely, but I'm going to hand it to you. And what happened was mm-hmm. in those things, yeah, they come to mind sometimes.
1: Sure. Right. Yeah.
0: But not like they did.
1: Right. right. And,
0: and I think it's inviting him in. It's asking him to redeem our pain. Mm-hmm. It's asking him to be a part because he's there. Mm-hmm. and, and sometimes he does it without us inviting him, but there's this beautiful part of the partnership where we can say, you know what, God, here. And it's not mm-hmm. just take it and walk off. It's more like
1: mm-hmm.
0: you are with your spouse and you're saying, I love you so much that I want you to help me carry this.
1: Yeah, I'm, gonna, yeah.
0: I'm not going to leave it and just run away. It's like, mm-hmm. here you go.
1: Yeah. And that's, that is a completely different way of looking at it because you are allowing truth to be the driving force within your surrender. So I am being honest about where I am, and God, when you're ready, because some things need to stay for a while. You know, as as uh, Paul cried uh, David cried out, uh, you know, God heard my cry, and I had to wait patiently, which we know is long suffering, <laughs> yeah. uh, for the Lord. And then he met me in the pit of my despair. And it didn't mean that God took too much time to be there. He was there, but the rescue took time. And so that's where I want to say, like, in that posture of God, I want you to come into the places of my story, tend to my anxiety, my depression, whatever you're dealing with, my anger, my frustration, sit with me in it and don't take it from me until I need to learn what I need to learn from this. But when you're ready, I open-handedly give this to you. So let me examine it. Search me and know me. Let me look at these things. Let me get honest. Let me invite you into them. And when you're ready, God, you take it. And when it does rear its ugly head again, I don't have to go, well, I just gave that to God. Oh, is it trying to tell me something? Can I take a look at it again and invite God back into that and say, God, it's here again. I know we had this conversation. Do Do you want me to learn anything from this or is this straight up from the enemy? And if so, would you take it, God? Um, And I think that's just a different posture.
0: Yeah. And if it does come back, there's a good chance it might not come back with the strength that it once did.
1: Yeah. So true. And Or for the longevity, Yeah. right? Like it it comes and we have tools and we have presence of God and then we're able to work through it. And then we go, oh man, what normally would take me out for a week only took me out for a day. Right. That's a W right there. I'm going to take that. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And so... I mean, your book, it's, it's, it's great. I love that you're walking us through this process. And for our listeners, if they're experiencing something where they don't feel like they're experiencing freedom,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: they feel stuck. Mm -hmm. What's some advice that you would give them to kind of help them on to the next step?
1: Yeah. I mean, ask yourself these few questions. One what am I thinking? What's 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 reeling in my mind? Whether story or experience or just a feeling, a thought. What am I thinking? And then what am I feeling about what I'm thinking? So, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? And then this one's a little bit more challenging, but to get there, what am I needing? Or what did I need that I didn't receive? What am I needing? And it is in those three questions that we then go, God, would you enter in? and begin to reveal to me these places that I feel stuck and why. And that's why I'm saying we have to do our part, but we need, the, we need the discernment and wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And so what am I thinking? What am I feeling? What am I needing? God, would you enter into this with me? And let's, let's journey together. Because so he will not leave you stuck if your heart desires to be free. But we have to be honest because remember, can't wear the t shirt. The truth sets me free and not tell the truth. So you that's have it. to tell the truth. Even if you're very angry at God, tell him. He yeah. can handle it. Read 1 yeah. Kings chapter 19. It's in my book. But Elijah yells at God. So that's what I would say.
0: And he already knows that questions. you're angry at him. He just wants yeah. you to vocalize it.
1: Right. Well, we need relationship, yeah. intimacy, co regulation with each other. So I'm going to help regulate your nervous system and your body by my presence, but I can't do that if you're not honest. So those are, those are essential starting questions. I do think shameless plug. I did write this book for people that love Jesus, know Jesus, don't know Jesus, but feel stuck. So this book is really a field guide to help you walk through examining, processing, and ultimately healing the places you just stuck.
0: If you are interested in more conversations like this one, buy my book, Vulnerable Rethinking Human Trafficking. If you want bonus episodes, as well as a plethora of other resources, become a paid member at lmpg.org for $10 a month. You will get access to our bonus podcast, More Mercy, where we dive deeper. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave MercyCast a five-star review. We want to hear from you. So you can email us at info at mercycast.com. Till next time, have mercy on yourselves and each other.